Welcome back, everybody, to another edition of Unbashful. I, of course, am your host, Nicholas Doucette. I want to thank you for stopping by here today for episode 48 of the show. And as the title suggests, I'm going to be giving you my personal top 10 most anticipated films heading into this year. Well, we are officially in 2023 now. Now, I will say, compared to the last couple of years, especially with COVID and everything like that, hopefully in the rear view, this year has a lot of promise. And there's so many different films coming out, whether depending on what niche you lie in, if you're a big fan of art house films and independent films, we have quite a lot of those coming out from, you know, production companies like A24, or you are a big fan of the tentpole spectacle comic book films, those those kind of things, we're going to get those as well from, you know, Marvel and DC, or you're just a, a film fan in general. That's sort of where I lie. I love my big blockbuster films, but I also like watching stories about grounded, realistic, uh, relatable tales. And there's sort of a blend of that on my list. And because this, this year has so many different, you know, kinds of films coming out, it was really challenging putting this list together. So before I crack into the top 10, I'm actually going to give you five honorable mentions and these are in no particular order. I'm just going to run through them. So let's just get us started here. Uh, Coming in is uh, Asteroid City. This is Wes Anderson's next film. Uh, I'm not the biggest Wes Anderson fan. Of course, I I enjoyed The Grand Budapest Hotel, but his last film, I can't even remember the name, uh, I wasn't the biggest fan of it, and it had a pretty star-studded cast. It had Bill Murray, it had uh, Francis McDormand, Timothy Chalamet, but I, uh, I, I don't know, it just didn't really work for me. But I am a fan of, of Wes Anderson, uh, some of his films more than others, as I mentioned. Uh, but this film seems to have a just an incredible cast. And that's the thing you have to give to Wes Anderson. Obviously, he's an incredibly talented filmmaker. I know a lot of film schools actually study him, uh, from his cinematography to all the visual storytelling cues. Uh, but the cast of his films are always incredible. So, so, for example, this film, Asteroid City, it has Margot Robbie. Tom Hanks, Edward Norton, Scarlett Johansson, Tilda Swinton, Steve Carell, Brian Cranston, and Maya Hawke, who's of course in Stranger Things, and she's the daughter to Uma Thurman, and Ethan Hawke. Uh, now, some of these names I just mentioned, they are familiar with Wes Anderson. Like I know Edward Norton's been in quite a few of his films. I don't think Margot Robbie has been in any of his films yet. Tilda Swinton has been in a couple of his films, but I think Steve Carell, Brian Cranston, and Maya Hawke. And Tom Hanks are basically all new, uh, uh, you know, actors that have that are that are in his film. So up next is Insidious: Fear the Dark. Insidious, the first one, is top three one of my favorite horror films of all time. To this day, it still kind of creeps me out, especially the scene when uh, the 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 the. Uh, the grandmother is describing a dream that she had and she walked into the kid's room and there's like the devil. You could see the silhouette of him in the corner up until you actually see the devil and they kind of, you know, give that away. The old adage is what's, what's the scariest thing is what's not shown to us or whatever it is. I'm sure you guys probably know what I'm talking about. But after that, after the first two films, the franchise kind of dwindled a little bit for me. Uh, I was a fan of the third one, and it, I think the third one was the one that followed the girl living in like New York, and uh, it wasn't really connected to the original family, but it had uh, the 
whatever the the psychic lady I, I can't even remember her name she was essentially the through line throughout those movies sort of similar to how Benoit Blanc is the through line for the Knives Out films but this film promises a lot I mean first of all it's directed by Patrick Wilson who was the father and uh, the one of the leads of the first two films. So he's directing this. I don't know if he's ever directed anything before. It's starting to become a trend in Hollywood. We're seeing actors uh, directing just out of the blue. And that sometimes can make me a little bit hesitant because if they've never had any experience behind the camera, kind of makes me scratch my head as to why they're going to be directing a massive film for their first directorial debut. But on the flip side, to play devil's advocate, you could say, well, they've, you know, many of these actors have worked with very talented directors and they've probably picked up on some of their strategies and they've probably learned a lot working with them. So that is a fair argument to make. But nonetheless, he's directing it. But what really excites me is that it's not only that he's directing the film, he's going to be starring in the film as well. So the original family that we saw in those first two Insidious films, they're going to be coming back for this. And uh, I know a lot of people said that last year was like a return to form for the horror genre. I actually disagree. I saw most of the films that a lot of the people were talking about. For me, the only highlight was uh, the film called Men, directed by Alex Garland, which it's funny because a lot of people don't like that movie. I don't know why. I, I, I just... There, I think from the performance of Jesse Buckley to the direction by Alex Garland and the sort of weird, creepy A24 aesthetic that the film had, I loved it. But I think this year, as you'll see with my next honorable mention, has a lot of promise for not just you know film in general, but for the horror genre. So that leads me to my next pick on my honorable mentions, and that's The Nun 2. Now, I know what you're probably thinking, and I agree. The first Nun really bad. It was not a good movie. And it was, I was very disappointed because when we were introduced to Valak, which is the creepy looking nun that everybody knows now, when we were introduced to Valak in, uh, the conjuring part two, and I heard that they were doing a spinoff film from that. I was excited like a lot of people were. And that film was just a huge letdown. Uh, but I'm going to remain optimistic. This is getting a sequel. I'm pretty sure it has a new director. Uh, the girl, the main actress, I think she's returning and I, I never had a problem with her performance. I think it was more so the surrounding cast and, uh, the writing and stuff like that. So, uh, I, I'm going to remain optimistic as I just said, and hopefully with a new director, new writers, this could be what we expected the first film to be. So that's my number three on my most anticipated list. The next film on here is Wonka. Uh, this is starring T Timothy Chalamet, who's going to be playing a younger version of Willy Wonka before his days when he ran the chocolate factory and whatnot. So that seems pretty exciting. Um, don't really know much about the film beyond just that surface level description, uh, but I'm a big fan of Timothy Chalamet and he seems to be very careful with the projects that he decides to sign off on. He hasn't been in a bad movie yet. Uh, hopefully, I'm not wishing that happens, but... I'm excited to see his his career continue to to grow. So next on my list in the final film before we crack in the top 10 is The Marvels. Now I'm going to be honest with you, I was not incredibly excited for this film. Uh, but as time has gone on, I've heard some things. And more specifically, there's a leak going around from a lot of reliable scoopers that we are going to watch an incursion happen in this movie. And it's said to, to be this terrifying spectacle. 
Uh, and for those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, an incursion, which was established in Multiverse of Madness, is when the two universes collide uh, because it, it, it's kind of hard to explain. I'm not really the best person to. I'm not this uh, comic book uh, breakdown channel, but it's essentially, they described it in Multiverse of Madness. It's essentially when two universes collide and either one universe, I believe, takes over the other or both just are destroyed entirely. So, and apparently in the film, what's going to happen is an incursion will take place and the Marvels, you know, Kamala Khan, uh, uh, Carol Danvers and Monica Rambeau will delay it before it eventually happens at the end of the film. So I guess that was kind of a spoiler. We don't know if that's going to happen or not, but yeah. So that excites me. Um, I wasn't the biggest fan of Captain Marvel, like the first film. And I'm not one of these toxic fans that doesn't like Brie Larson. I think Brie Larson is an amazing actress. If you just look at her as a pure performer, she is one of the best performers in in the MCU right now compared to everybody else. So nothing against her. I think her character is just sort of, uh, I don't really know how to describe, kind of just boring from from being honest. And it's not, once again, it's not because of her performance. I think it's more of how the character has been written, how the character has been portrayed. But hopefully we'll we'll learn a little bit more about her. And, and, and like I, we did learn about her in the first film. She was, uh, she was a pilot and whatnot and kind of lost her memory and so on. But hopefully we kind of peel back more of the layers and uh, see a little bit more progression with the character. Maybe see some more flaws too, some, some more vulnerabilities. And uh, I liked Monica Rambeau from when we saw her in uh, uh, WandaVision. So pretty excited to see her come back. Now, when it comes to Kamala Khan, I, I've spoken about the Marvels before, so I'm not going to go into agnosium about it. But I really didn't like her show. It's one of my least favorite projects in the entire MCU. But I've always said, though, that I liked her. I liked the actress who played the character. And I would... I would see her in something else. I would check out something else that the character's in. But overall, her show, the story, the narrative, I didn't like it at all. And yeah, so I'm not, I'm not going to, you know, run through that again. But anyway, so that is my honorable mentions now. Let's kick it off into the top 10. So coming in at number 10, I got John Wick Chapter 4. Now, the last film ended on a pretty cool cliffhanger. We see that the high table made the offer to Winston to basically retain ownership of the Continental if he kills John Wick. And uh, he shot John Wick. And, and I think when he shot John Wick, I think when he sniped him, I, I think he did it with the intention and the hope that he would survive. Because obviously they have him and John Wick have that relationship. So uh, he was his back was kind of put up against the wall. I'm not saying it was the right thing to do. But I think he, especially the way he his, his shot selection, I think he kind of had a good idea that he was going to survive. And then we see in the trailer of the new film that's coming out that they uh, re-team. And it uh, doesn't seem like any bad blood surfaced from from that, from the ending of the film. And it, seem, it appears the plot of this film is that the high table is going to give John Wick the opportunity to get his freedom back if he basically beats Bill Skarsgård's character in like a one-on-one -on -one duel. Uh, not the most, you know groundbreaking plot but I don't think that's ever the intention with these films these are just fun action films and I, I like them I, I still think the first John Wick for me is probably my favorite uh, and I think the role itself of John Wick I think plays to a lot of the strengths uh, that Keanu Reeves has as an actor this sort of stoic behavior uh, this badass pretty much 
I think it works, and I've always been a fan of the character, and it seems like as these films have gone on, you have to give them credit because while they're entertaining and while they're big spectacles and whatnot, you have learned more about the character of John Wick, whether it's in the first film we learn about his wife and how that had the connections to the dog and, and so on and so forth. Hopefully we'll learn more about him in this film, and I think we will. I think the third film introduced us to, I can't remember, but it's basically how John Wick was raised uh, I think it was with the Continental, if I'm not, my memory sort of, I haven't seen, I haven't seen the last John Wick in quite a while, so I might be wrong about this, but I also know that we have the new series coming as well, which apparently he has, Keanu Reeves has signed on to appear in, and that's going to be led by Anna Armas. so they are really fleshing this universe out, and I, I mean, I'm, I'm for it, you know, I, I think the whole idea of the Continental and the high table is very exciting, and I think, uh, I think I'm pretty excited for this film, and I'm sure, I think this is like four of like, number four, and I think they're going to do like five, six, and seven, or I could be wrong, but yeah, so coming in at number 10 for me is John Wick chapter four, and uh, let's get into number nine. So I got the flash at my number nine. Now, I'm not going to get into the whole Ezra Miller drama. I'm sure you all probably know by now all the, the crazy stuff that he's done. And my excitement is purely based off Batman. Now, for those of you who don't know, Batman is my favorite superhero. Marvel is my favorite collection of superheroes to watch on the big screen, but Batman has always been my favorite superhero. And Ben Affleck's Batman, specifically, is one of my favorite iterations of the character that we've had, and I wish we could have at least seen that solo film that him and Jeff Johns wrote the script for that was reportedly going to be a film surrounding him uh, going up against uh, Deathstroke. So we'll never get that, so if we can just even get a little bit more Ben Affleck, I'm for it. Now, I know the reboot is inevitable, and I'm I'm still all game for the reboot, and if that means Ben Affleck <clears throat> has to get recast, so be it. Uh, but if this is the last time we're going to see Ben Affleck as Batman, I'm excited for it. And not only that, we're going to get another Batman in this film, which is Michael Keaton, and apparently this film is going to uh, implement elements of the Flashpoint storyline. So that's, of course, going to deal with some multiverse stuff. Uh, so that sounds exciting. Like I said, I don't really even care about the Flash character. And I obviously don't care about Ezra Miller and all that stuff. You've, you all know, and I'm not going to sit here and, and, and talk about it for 20 minutes and give you a whole soliloquy on why it's bad. We all know what's bad. We all know what he's, he's doing is wrong. And we all, I think most of us agree he should get recast. And I, I understand why they're putting the film out. This film costs them hundreds of millions of dollars to make. So they're not appropriating or they're not the studio's not trying to you know say oh we're putting this out therefore we think he is he isn't he shouldn't be held accountable that's not it at all they understand the potential of this film apparently this film has been tested with multiple different audiences and a lot of people are are saying it's like the best thing the best DC film since the dark knight now i'm sure a lot of that is hyperbole is reactionary but nonetheless it's it's nice to hear that so They've put a lot of money in this film. It's a huge investment. I'm sure once the film is out, then the recast will probably happen. I'm kind of contradicting myself. I said I wouldn't talk about it, and here I am. But I'll cap it there. I'm excited for The Flash. I'm excited to see two of some of my favorite Batmans uh, on screen once again. So, and uh, yeah, so let's move on to number eight. So my number eight is Creed Three. And uh, I've been a big fan of this Creed franchise. This is, of course, the spinoff from Rocky. 
And uh, I, I still think the first one's probably my favorite, but the second film was a decent follow-up, and I think the third one actually has the potential to be the best. And for me, the most intriguing factor is, is I think, the story, and I think it, it ties nicely to the first film, because basically what's happening is that uh, when Adonis Creed was in juvenile detention, he, he made a friend, and they became very, very close, and then when he left Juvie, that kid that he was friends with stayed in juvie and ended up going to federal prison and spent another 18 years of his life there. And then finally he got out and now he feels like he's owed his due and he feels like he never got his chance to prove himself as a fighter. And he's been training this whole time behind bars and he's basically been sidelined and watching his, well, what, what, what was his best friend now being all successful and having the money, the cars, everything like that. And he feels like he deserves that too. So I think it's nice. I think it, uh, it's going to deal with you know envy and, and greed and all kinds of other things. And uh, also, we're going to see Tessa Thompson's character return. And of course, her character in the first two films has progressive hearing loss. I believe that's the official term. I could be wrong. Not a doctor. <laughs> uh, and, and we get to see more of, uh, of Creed and, and, and learning more about his character. Now, I talked about this earlier with Patrick Wilson, but... Michael B. Jordan is directing this film. Now, he's never directed a film before. But at the same time, I'm more confident I'm more confident in this than I am with Patrick Wilson. Because Patrick Wilson is a great actor. But I think, it's just my opinion, I think Michael B. Jordan has worked with more talented directors. Uh, and I feel like he worked with Ryan Coogler. He's worked with... Uh, I'm drawing a blank. But... He's worked with very, very talented filmmakers, and I think he's probably learned a lot. He's been a sponge. He's probably talked to... I think him and Michael, or him and Ryan Coogler have probably been not directing this thing together, but I'm sure he's probably been calling up Ryan Coogler many times, you know, asking for tips and, and things of that nature. So I'm more confident in, 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 in him making his directorial debut on this film compared to Patrick Wilson. But I'm still excited for Insidious, uh, whatever it was called. I've already forgotten the name. <laughs> um, and Jonathan Majors. I've talked about Jonathan Majors many times. Uh, I'm a huge fan now, and, and, and I'm super excited to see him as Kang. And apparently he's going to be playing a variant of the Beyonder when we get to Avengers Secret Wars. But that's a whole another conversation for another day. But he looks jacked to the gills. He looks huge. And uh, another... Uh, foe that could give Adonis Creed a run for his money. So that's my number eight. Let's move on to my number seven. So next on my list at number seven is a film called The Killer. Now this is going to be David Fincher's next film, which once again will be a Netflix original. Uh, I don't know if he signed some kind of deal with them, kind of like what Zack Snyder's doing with Netflix with his film Rebel Moon, which I am actually excited for. And I did consider putting that on one of my honorable mentions, uh, just as a side note. But Getting back to this film, you know, we haven't had a trailer. We haven't had really anything marketing-wise, no teaser, nothing. But David Fincher is one of those directors like Christopher Nolan, Martin Scorsese, uh, Denis Villeneuve, who it doesn't matter what they're doing, if they're making a film, I'll be there. It could be something totally out of left field that I would have never seen myself parking my butt in in the theater to watch. But if it's being directed by them... You, you already got my money. So he's one of these directors. Uh, when their films come out, it is, it's like an event. 
Uh, a lot of people have said that before with many different directors, but it truly is an event. Like, it's, you're excited, you know, like, oh, next Tuesday I'm going to go see the new Dune film, for example. And it's like, there's a lot of hype around it, whereas, you know, sometimes you're bored, you see what's playing in the theater, you're like, all right, I'll go see that, don't really know much about it, seems okay. Uh, I don't feel like that about these kind of directors. When these directors have something coming out, I am keeping my eye on it at all times, even if it is a Netflix film in this case. Uh, which I'm sure will get a limited theatrical release, but nonetheless. Here's the official long line, because I feel like it's going to explain it better than I could. A man solitary and cold, methodical and unencumbered by scruples or regrets, the killer waits in the shadows watching for his next target. And yet the longer he waits, the more he thinks he's losing his mind, if not his cool. A brutal, bloody, and stylish noir story of a professional assassin, assassin lost in a world without a moral compass. This is a case study of a man alone, armed to the teeth, and slowly losing his mind. Okay, so all things considered, it sounds like it's an assassin who's basically at war with himself. Uh, and just hearing those three words, stylish noir story. I'm a sucker for noir filmmaking. I love black and white films. Now, noir doesn't mean black and white. It just means that sort of darker period of cinema where it's a lot of, you know, gritty New York detective films, stuff like that. There's a lot of neo-noir, like Nightcrawler, I think would probably be considered neo-noir. But yeah, and and the cast is pretty impressive as well. You have Michael Fassbender, Tilda Swinton, and Monica Gozman, who who played a supporting role in uh, Mank, which I was a big film of Mank. Mank is one of these movies, not to get on a side note, but when I first watched it, it was about, of course, the writer Herman Mankiewicz who wrote uh, Citizen Kane um, way back in, in the in the, in the the 40s. And for those of you who don't know, Citizen Kane is one of those movies, like if you talk to like a cinephile or you talk to someone like a film student, they'll always tell you like, oh, you know, if you, if you want to get into this, like you got to watch Citizen Kane. Uh I don't personally believe that. I have seen it, but I don't think it's anything special. But nonetheless, that's just my opinion. You know, whatever. Torch me for it. Um, But he was the writer of that film back in the day. And he was an alcoholic. And he was basically just... He had a lot of vices. And uh, Mank was a film that I didn't love on my first watch. But on the rewatch, I appreciate it a whole lot more. And it's 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 in black and white, so I'm a sucker for mo- for films like that. Uh, yeah, so this seems pretty exciting. Another David Fincher film. We don't know much about it. If we maybe had a trailer or a teaser or something, could have been higher on my list. But nonetheless, still hyped for it. Let's move on to number six. So my number six is Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Three. Uh, this film was supposed to come out probably four years ago, but then everything with James Gunn went down, and then he went to go make Suicide Squad, and then he came back. Uh, and he's, he's spoken in interviews that he's pretty much using the same script, probably with some tweaks, with some things that the studio wanted him to implement to to maybe tie into the multiverse saga. I From the trailers, I'm not getting the impression that this film will heavily tie into the overarching story of Kang and whatnot. And Kevin Feige has said in interviews that not every film will directly tie into it, like a film like Ant-Man, Quantumania, for example, which we know is going to kick off Phase 5 and feature Kang and whatnot. I'm sure there will be some subtleties and some some references and some, some sort of visual cues that might hint or, or might foreshadow something, but it doesn't seem like this film is going to be 
heavily connected to the overarching or contribute rather to to the overarching narrative of the multiverse saga but i'm still excited for it the guardians are one of my some of my favorite ensemble characters in the entire mcu uh the whole tag of them being a ragtag group of idiots and whatever or misfits rather like that's that's the best way you could put it they're 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 flawed characters they're not your you know paint by numbers kind of superhero characters that some you know people could point to uh they have depth they have complexity and that's what makes them so memorable and they're funny right they're all kind of unique in their own way and uh there's a lot of unanswered questions people have had surrounding rocket raccoon uh even drax and i think now that we're going to be seeing the high, high evolutionary who in the comics is the basically the guy who created drax and uh, he's he's going to be one of the antagonists of the film. We're also being introduced to Adam Warlock, who was teased by the Sovereign at the end of Guardians 2. So we're going to see a lot of loose ends tied up, and we're going to see, as James Gunn has, has talked about it, we're going to see the conclusion of this current roster of the Guardians. Now, I still believe we're going to have Peter Quill. I still believe we're going to have Gamora. A lot of people are pointing to Drax being the character that dies. I'm not so sure. It's tough to say. I mean, I, I'd probably agree just because of all the interviews we've seen with Dave Batista talking about he, you know, he wants to work with more, uh, he wants to work with different directors and, and, and play more kind of, uh, characters that are taken more serious and whatnot, which, I mean, I can understand that. I was, I was about to actually present the argument as to why I do think he'll live, but now that I'm kind of just thinking out loud here, I would probably agree. I think he's the one that might be, you know, the one, the, uh, the, the guardian to die, so to speak, but Rocket could also pass away because I don't even know if Bradley Cooper wants to keep doing this that much longer. So we'll have to wait and see, but, uh, I am excited to see the high evolutionary. I, I'm, did I say high revolutionary before? High evolutionary, excuse me. Uh, I'm excited to see and learn more about where Rocket came from, how was he created, so on and so forth. It's been teased and whatnot uh, in uh, in the first film when they were sort of being introduced and they were on they were in that prison. You could see the sort of origins of the characters, and I think there was a couple pieces of information that heavily teased the High Evolutionary, but. Yeah, and we have Will Poulter playing Adam Warlock. I think he's a great actor. He's he's been in a lot of roles. Uh, he was hilarious in uh, We the Millers, and I'm excited to see this film. I love James Gunn's style of filmmaking, and this is going to be his last film, at least for a very long time, in the MCU. So I'm confident it's going to be great. Let's move on to number five. Coming in at number five is Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania. It just snuck up one spot above the Guardians for a few reasons. Number one, the director Peyton Reed has discussed this film as an Avengers-level movie compared to the previous two Ant-Man films that were a little bit more grounded, a little bit more tame compared to the, you know, like the end games of the world and the Infinity Wards. Uh, but this film, being the third film to complete the trilogy, it's going to end not end the character, Scott Lang, I'm sure, is going to be a huge part of this next saga, but it's going to complete the trilogy with a bang, and of course, we're being introduced to Kang, and it's said that through the, you know, the the many scoopers of the, of the internet, they have said that this will be the main Kang villain, 
because we know we're going to see multiple variants of Kang. This is going to be the main Kang that we'll see uh, across the Kang Dynasty in Secret Wars. And it's even said that we are going to see other Kangs, but this Kang will end up being the Beyonder of Avengers Secret Wars. Now, if you don't know who the Beyonder is, I'm not going to get into the whole history, but he's essentially the main antagonist of Secret Wars. He created Battleworld, and he's the one who kind of is pulling the strings and puts all the heroes and villains and pits them against each other to fight for, you know, one uh, unified timeline, so to speak, or just one one world, pretty much. So I'm sure they're going to take some liberties, make some changes. They never follow all the storylines completely. Age of Ultron was very different from the Age of Ultron in the comics, and Infinity War was very different from uh, the in- Infinity Gauntlet storyline in the comics as well, I believe. Uh, so I'm sure things are going to be different, but it seems like the Beyonder will be in Secret Wars, which makes sense. So this film is going to kick off, really kick off the multiverse saga. Phase 4 it was introducing new characters. There were some hints. Of course, we did see the Immortus, kind of he who remains version of Kang. We, we were introduced to him in Loki, but you had projects like Moon Knight. You had projects like, uh, you know... Uh, She-Hulk that didn't really uh, connect or contribute to the multiverse saga. And uh, and yeah, so it seems like now Phase 5 is going to make it more of a priority now that we're getting that much closer to King Dynasty and Secret Wars. We're still a few years out, but time time is moving fast. And this saga, compared to the Infinity Saga, is shorter in length. By the time we get to Secret Wars, it's going to be only... It'll be like seven years if they don't delay the film again. And that's still a long time, but if you look at the Infinity Saga, it was about ten years worth of filmmaking. So, they're, they're going three years short. They're condensing it a little bit. So, they got to get the ball rolling and start to connect the dots a little bit more. Um, and and I, I'm really excited for the future of Marvel, just to kind of talk on that in a second. Once again, a lot of the reliable scoopers have said that in Thunderbolts, they're going to... Sorry, in Thunderbolts and Captain America New World Order, those two films are going to sort of surround Tamit, which is the celestial that was that was, that was was basically taken down in Eternals, and that's going to be turned to Genosha Island, which in the comics was an island habited by, uh, by mutants. So that sounds pretty exciting. And apparently, more specifically about Tiamat Island is, is what it's uh, apparently that's what it's going to be called. Uh, I don't think it's going to be called Genosha. I think it's going to be called Tiamat Island. That is going to be the source of Adamantium, which is the source of Adamant- Adamantium is the claws that Wolverine has. That's the metal claws that he has. So apparently those two films are going to be dealing with uh, a geographical sort of conflict with different countries fighting over the island and trying to claim the adamantium resource. So that sounds pretty exciting. Now that's just a leak. It may, that might be totally false, but still I'm, I'm pretty hyped, but yeah, Ant-Man and the Wasp quantum mania. We're going to see Kang a lot more compared to when we saw him in Loki. And then from there, it's just going to piggyback off that we have Loki season two. And I watched the leak trailer. There was quite a lot of Kang in that, uh, like Kang murals and stuff like that. So I'm positive and I, and and I'm hopeful for the future of the MCU. So that's my number five, Quantumania. Let's move on to number four. So my number four is Barbie. And uh, for a couple of reasons, I know it's kind of become a meme now to be a fan of this film. Uh, but I'm really just excited for it 
mostly for the director and for the writer, which is Greta Gerwig. Greta Gerwig is directing this film. She also co-wrote it with her husband, Noah Baumbach, who's also an incredible filmmaker. His film, White Noise, is on Netflix, and I've been meaning to check it out. I'll probably end up watching it after uh, this uh, podcast here. But yeah, and she's, she's of course, directed Lady Bird, uh, and she directed Little Women. Now, Little Women, for me, a little story for you, it was... I believe Little Women came out on Christmas in 2019, and I woke up, I went to go see my family, and my mom and my older sister were going to go see the film, and I didn't really know anything about it, I had never seen Lady Bird at the time, so I didn't even really know who Greta Gerwig was, and I said, you know, why not, it's Christmas, I'll go see it, fell in love with it, and then I found out that it's actually a remake of a previous iteration of the film that came out uh, in the early 2000s, I believe, with... uh, Christian Bale and uh, drawn a blank girl from Edward Scissorhands. What's her name? I can't remember, but yeah. So I'm a big fan of Greta Gerwig, and uh, she's also an actress as well. I believe she co-starred Adam Driver in Noah Baumbach's new film White Noise. And beyond, you know, behind the camera, you have obviously uh, Ryan Gosling who's playing Ken. You have Margot Robbie, you have Simu Liu, apparently Will Ferrell is in this movie, and I actually just found out the other day that apparently Michael Sarah is in this film as well, so an incredible cast, and the sort of running leak, plot plot leak, if you will, that's going around as spoilers if you don't want to hear this, apparently what's going to happen is that uh, Barbie, Margot Robbie's Barbie is going to be in her sort of own little world and so will Ryan Gosling, and they're going to be pulled out of that world somehow, and it's essentially going to be like a fish out of water tale, and then once they get pulled out of that world, Will Ferrell is like the antagonist of the film, I think he's sort of, um, he's like the CEO of Hasbro, and he's trying to get, collect these, you know, this, this version of Ken and Margot, I'm, I'm probably getting the plot leak a little bit wrong, but that's, from what I remember, that's what I heard. And apparently there's going to be multiple Kens, multiple Barbies in this film. Uh, Simu Liu is going to be playing a Ken. Uh, and then I'm sure there's going to be other actresses playing Barbie. But it seems that the two stars, the two leads, are going to be uh, Margot and Ryan Gosling. So I said Margot and Ryan Gosling as if they're together. Margot Robbie and Ryan Gosling. And the, the thing that, for me, my kind of impression is that the film we're getting is going to be a lot different and is going to be a lot more layered than I think a lot of people think, right? I don't think this is just going to be some comedy about Barbie, right? Just some modern day approach. I think this film is going to have heart. It's going to actually uh, maybe deal with some societal issues. Who knows? I, I, I'm pretty excited for it. As I'm sure a lot of you are, as I mentioned, it's become like the running gag you know, I, I keep seeing this meme go around. It's like me walking out of the Barbie premiere versus me walking out of the Oppenheimer premiere. And it's like one's serious and one's like, you know, oh, happy-go-lucky, whatever. I'm sure you guys know what I'm talking about. But yeah, so that's my number four. Let's move on to number three. So my number three is Dune Part 2. I really enjoyed the first Dune film directed by Denis Villeneuve. And who I, as I mentioned with David Fincher, Denis Villeneuve is in the that director pool of whatever he makes, I will be in theaters to see it. And that applies to this. The first Dune film for me, from a narrative perspective, felt very incomplete uh, and felt a little too long considering that there wasn't a conclusive story. Now, I understand that might have been the intention because I believe... This part two and now the part one are essentially both halves 
of the first book. And in the first book is pretty dense. It's like 800 pages, I believe. I've never read it, but I've been told by a friend of mine to, to definitely give it a read because it's a fantastic novel. Uh, and there's like four or five other films uh, or other books that they'll probably adapt into films fleshing this franchise out. But I'm excited to see the narrative continue with the Fremen and seeing how Paul, uh, I believe he becomes the leader of the Fremen and he takes on uh, the Harkonnen and whatnot. I don't know that to be true. I'm not a huge Dune connoisseur. That's just, you know, the, the, the stuff that I've heard. And we know that the cast has expanded. We have Florence Pugh, who's joined the cast. She's playing Prince, uh, Princess Arulon. I apologize if I mispronounce these. I probably will. And then we have Austin Butler, fresh off of Elvis. He'll be playing the the Feed Ratha. And Christopher Walken, who I feel like I haven't seen him in a film in quite a while. Uh, and he'll be uh, Shaddam the Fourth. Uh, yeah, so a lot of talent in this film. And of course, we have returning characters like Paul Atreides, played by Timothy Chalamet. And I've talked many times about how big of a fan I am of his. So it's nice to see that character's arc continue as well as the other supporting cast return as well. But aside from my gripes with the narrative, visually that film was incredible. I think what Greg Fraser did with the cinematography uh, was outstanding. I, th I think that was one of the six um, Oscars that they won was for that. And I hope he returns for the Batman sequel as well. Uh, and I, I think he's very, very talented. And of course, Denis Villeneuve is one of my favorite directors you know, Blade Runner 2049, completely slept on film. It's one of my favorites of his. I would say my favorite film of his is still probably Prisoners with Jake Gyllenhaal and Hugh Jackman, the the, the sort of murder mystery. Definitely check it out. It's worth the viewing. Uh, but yeah, that's my number three. Let's move on to my number two. So coming in at my number two is Killers of the Flower Moon. Now, this is directed by Martin Scorsese. And just like I mentioned with Denis Villeneuve and David Fincher, Martin Scorsese is one of those filmmakers where whatever movie he makes, I will be there. Uh, I, for one, uh, I've spoken to a lot of people, and every time I ask them, you know, what's your favorite Scorsese film? A lot of them say Goodfellas, a lot of them, a lot of them say uh, Taxi Driver, and those are great films. But for me, my favorite film of his is actually Shutter Island. And then I would probably say number two would be Taxi Driver, and then number three would probably be would probably be Casino. But Shutter Island, for those of you who haven't seen it, I will not mention a single spoiler in that film because I would rather you go in knowing nothing because the twist at the end uh, is is pretty mesmerizing, to to, uh, to say the least. But this film, uh, the, the official synopsis of Killers of the Flower Moon is that members of the oil-wealthy Osage Nation are murdered under mysterious circumstances in the 1920s. So it's essentially a film uh, that, that deals with a lot of the tragedies that happen uh, to indigenous people uh, at that point of time. And it sounds like it's a fight over resources, over oil, uh, similar to, uh, kind of similar to There Will Be Blood to a lesser degree, um, sort of the fight for oil and things like that. And the cast is incredible. You, of course, have Leonardo DiCaprio, who's done quite a few films with Martin Scorsese, obviously, Shutter Island, um, Wolf of Wall Street, uh, Gangs of New York, uh, Aviators. So I would say Wolf of Wall Street is my favorite DiCaprio performance in a Martin Scorsese film. But Shutter Island is my favorite Scorsese film if that just as an overall movie, if that makes any sense. 
Um, but yeah, this film sounds incredible. It's been on my radar for a while. It's going to be an Apple TV Plus exclusive. Apparently, what's going to happen is that the film is being distributed by Paramount, so it's going to get a theatrical release, and then afterwards, when it hits streaming, it's going to go to Apple TV. Um, so that is pretty interesting. Now, it, the, the news just came out, at least I've just found out, that Brendan Fraser has also joined the cast, so I don't know if they're still in production, or I thought they were done filming, but I guess they're still doing filming the making the film, so... I imagine we're probably not going to see Killers of the Flower Moon come out until the end of the year. Uh, and I don't know if I mentioned there there is no trailer. There's no nothing. There's just been a couple of stills, uh, but nothing, no clips. But I have a lot of faith in this film. Uh, so that's why it's so high up on my list. Now let's move on to number one, which I'm sure some of you probably already know what that is. All right. So it's probably pretty obvious at this point, but my number one most anticipated film of this year is Christopher Nolan's next film, Oppenheimer. Right now, Christopher Nolan is by far my favorite director. I know I mentioned uh, Denis Villeneuve and Martin Scorsese and uh, David Fincher. I love those filmmakers as well, but for me, Christopher Nolan is just on another level. Like, same thing, same kind of ideology. I'll see whatever movie he makes, but I, I just get that much more excited specifically when it's him. Even Tenet, like I know Tenet, Tenet isn't even in my isn't even my favorite Christopher Nolan film, but I still thoroughly enjoy that film. And on the rewatch, for me, it got a lot better. Uh, and similar to a lot of his other films, like Dunkirk, when he teases his films, it's like an event. Like he'll often obviously premiere a lot of his trailers in front of other films that are coming out, like big tentpole films. Like, the trailer that a lot of you have seen for Oppenheimer on YouTube wasn't the trailer, that wasn't the same trailer that he's shown to people that went to go see Avatar and IMAX. And the, the trailer he showed in, uh, uh, in front of Avatar and IMAX was so much better. There was a, it was longer. We saw more of Matt Damon. He plays Louis Strauss, who was sort of like the director of the Manhattan Project. We see him having a conversation with Oppenheimer. Uh, the shots aesthetically look amazing. Like the cinematography, chef's kiss. It looks perfect. I, I'm, I'm, I don't even care. I hate the word simp, but if you want to call me a Christopher Nolan simp, so fucking be it. I don't care. Uh, now, <laughs> with my fanboyness out the way, this is a story about a man that works so hard to create this weapon of mass destruction, and as soon as he started to understand like what this weapon is capable of, he regretted it, and it was this, essentially this conflict within himself and within the government of... We are creating something that we know we we have to do. Like we're we're making this weapon. We know we have to 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 create it. And we know we're going to have to unfortunately use it. But at what cost? You see what I'm saying? So it's it's probably going to get some Oscar buzz. This looks like it's going to be one of Killian Murphy's best performances we've seen. Now he's no stranger to Christopher Nolan. He's off. He's worked with Christopher Nolan quite a few times in supporting roles. He was in obviously the Batman: The Dark Knight trilogy, uh, mostly in the first film, but in The Dark Knight and The Dark Knight Rises, we saw him appear in a quick scene, and then he was in Inception, and in that small role in Dunkirk as the Shivering Soldier. But now Christopher Nolan has said throughout all the years he's wanted to have Killian as the lead in the film in one of his films. He just hasn't found the right project. Uh, and apparently once he called Killian, he was like, this is the one. So 
that's pretty exciting. But one of the things that just beyond the the story of you know Oppenheimer and the Manhattan Project, um, and for those of you who don't know, I've sort of just brushed over it. This film is essentially about the guy who was the leader behind the creation of the atomic bomb uh, in World War II. So, and uh, he sort of was the head physicist who worked on the Manhattan Project and designing the creation of the atomic bomb. But the cast of this film is incredible. I, I don't know what the budget of this film is. It's got to be in like the 300 millions. Like, I don't know that to be a fact, but I'm just going to run through the cast here. So many of these actors and actresses are going to be in this film for maybe two minutes of screen time. And some of them could literally lead and have led their own films. Like, let me just run through this here. So just starting with the main cast, uh, we have Emily, like besides Killian Murphy, we have Emily Blunt, who's playing uh, Catherine, known as Kitty. She was uh, Oppenheimer's uh, wife. Uh, uh, J. Robert Oppenheimer's wife. Then we have Matt Damon as Leslie Groves. Sorry. Robert Downey Jr. is playing Louis Strauss. Matt Damon is playing Leslie Groves. Uh, so we have so we have them two. Then we have Florence Pugh as Gene Tatlock. We have Rami Malek, who has an undisclosed role. Benny Safdie is Edward Teller, which is insane. Benny Safdie, of course, him and his brother, they directed Uncut Gems. And then he uh, starred alongside Robert Pattinson in Good Time and directed it. We have Michael Ang... Ang- and Garano as Robert Serber. We have Josh Hartnett as Ernest Lawrence. I haven't seen Josh Hartnett in a film in a while. Then we have Kenneth Branagh in an undisclosed role. Dane DeHaan in an undisclosed role. We have Dylan Arnold as Frank Oppenheimer, who was in uh, uh, U Season 2. Uh, we have David Krumholtz as is- is- Isidore Isaac Rabbe- R- Rabbi. Alden Ehrenreich as, uh, as an undisclosed role. He was in... Uh, He's been quite a few. He played solo in that in that sort of spin-off film, the Star Wars film. We have Jack Quaid as Richard Feynman. So I'm terrible at name pronunciation, so I'm definitely gonna butcher this next one. David Damastmolchian. Now he has been in a lot of films. Uh he's been in quite a few Denis Villeneuve films. He played Polka Dot Man in uh in uh The Suicide Squad, and he had a very minor role in The Dark Knight, if you remember. Then we have Jason Clark in an undisclosed role, Josh Peck. That one threw me out of a loop. I was like, Josh Peck in a Christopher Nolan movie? Good for him. He's playing Kenneth Bainbridge. Uh, Devon Bostick as Seth Nedermeyer. Uh, Alex Wolf in an undisclosed role. Tony Goldwyn is in an undisclosed role. Scott Grimes in an undisclosed role. Josh Zuckerman in an undisclosed role. Uh, James Darcy in an undisclosed role. Oh my god, this cast is insane. Uh, Matthias Shui. I'm not even going to attempt to pronounce that i think that's the guy from army of army of the dead the new Zack snyder well not really new it's a couple years old at this point that Zack snyder netflix film about the uh, going to las vegas and doing a heist while there's a zombie invasion going on i think he's like that the the guy with the blonde hair christopher dehan is klaus fuch uh there's a I said there's a lot of known actors. There's also a lot of actors that I'm not particularly familiar with. But let me just run... Let me go through the rest of the list and name the actors that most of you are probably familiar with that are also in this film. Uh, we have... Uh, let me see. Let me see. Let me see. Uh, Gary Oldman as Harry S. Tr- uh, Truman. Olivia Thurbley. Casey Affleck. So that is just incredible. So I've been excited for Oppenheimer for quite a long time. I've been following the production of this film. I've been following the leaks, the casting, and everything. And it just... And of course, we have Hoyt Van Hoytema returning to do the uh, the DP work. So he's going to be leading the cinematography, and he's done quite a few films with Christopher Nolan. 
And uh, he did nope last year with, uh, with Jordan Peele and uh, quite a few other films. I think he's also done some of the camera work on Denis Villeneuve's films as well. So, yeah, this film is going to be incredible. I, I have no doubt. And, uh, yeah, that is my most anticipated list. Let me know yours down in the comments below. I'm sorry this episode was a little bit jumbled. I got a lot going on. So, if you stuck around for this song, I appreciate it. And, like I said, I'm very curious to know what your, your list is as well. I've seen a lot of lists already. And a lot of people have Oppenheimer uh, in there. Usually floating around the top five. But I haven't seen anybody have it in the top one. And I'm not just saying I did that just for the sake of appeasing everybody else. Generally speaking, like Oppenheimer by far, it's not even close between Kills of the Flower Moon. Like I'm excited for Kills of the Flower Moon, very much so. But for me, it just Oppenheimer, like I'm even surprised we're getting another Nolan film this soon. After Tenet, I thought, okay, he's probably gonna take another four years off. Not off, but he's probably gonna spend four years trying to make a new film. And the fact that we're getting another film so soon, like I understand it'll be two and a half years ish years ish. Uh, by the time we get this film from when we got Tenet, but still, like, that's a pretty quick turnaround, uh, and the fact that the quality and the prestige of this film looks so good, like, that's just shocking, but that's Christopher Nolan, man, so let me know what your list is down in the comment below, I will see you guys on the next episode of Unbashful, take care of yourselves, have a great day.